Good morning, church family. For it is wonderful to be back in the pulpit this week and to be back in the book of Acts as well. As this morning, we will once again be in Acts chapter 2, and we will be looking specifically this morning at verses 22 through 32, or at the second part, if you will, of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which obviously comes following the first part of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and also obviously following the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost as well or when the disciples of Jesus Christ received the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit began to clearly and to understandably and to intelligibly speak in other known human languages and tongues, which eventually then led to a multitude of Jews after hearing these disciples of Jesus Christ speak in that of their own native languages and tongues, verse 12, say to one another, for what does this mean? Whereas others, verse 13, mocking said, or made fun of them and said that they are filled with new wine, or that they are drunk on new wine. And thus the apostle Peter then, standing up with the eleven, or seemingly acting as the spokesperson for Jesus's 12 apostles here, for he then made it clear to this crowd of people in verse 15 that these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, in essence saying that it's absolutely ridiculous to assume that all these Galileans who were speaking in all these different languages and tongues, that they all would have been drunk on wine by 9 a.m. in the morning but that instead what was taking place here on this day of Pentecost was all in accordance, verse 16, to what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And thus the apostle Peter then begins to cite a prophecy from the prophet Joel as found in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, by initially saying in verses 17 and 18 that it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In essence, to summarize one commentator here, church, for the very thing that the prophet Joel had prophesied about has now arrived on this day of Pentecost with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and that every believer now shares in the general privilege and responsibility of the Old Testament prophets, that being to declare God's word to the world. To which the Apostle Peter then again cites the prophet Joel in verses 19 and 20 which seems to allude to the cosmic signs or phenomenons that will usher in or signal, if you will, verse 20, the day of the Lord, or the great and magnificent day when Jesus Christ comes again, only to then cite the prophet Joel once more in verse 21 by saying that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Mind you, the Lord who saves here, church, for the apostle Peter now, is none other than that of Jesus Christ, which the Apostle Peter will make abundantly clear throughout the rest of his sermon in Acts chapter 2. 
which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Although Jesus Christ was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, for Jesus Christ was also then raised up from the dead by God as well. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Although Jesus Christ was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, for Jesus Christ was also then raised up from the dead by God as well. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 910, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 22 through 32, where Dr. Luke the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we humble ourselves this morning as we come face to face with your word. Father, I pray that your spirit at this time soften hearts, open eyes, and open ears of the 
dear ones here today, that they humbly receive your word. Father, that they see the sovereignty of their God this morning in your word. That they see that without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ is the Messiah in this word. And Lord, that they find much hope in the resurrection of the dead. Because Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits of, of those who have fallen asleep, so too will all those who perish in Christ. For they will also be raised from the dead as well. Father, I pray this morning that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue. Father, give these dear ones exactly what they need to hear this morning. Let it be an encouragement to them, I pray. And let it, Father, above all else, be glorifying to you. Do this wonderful work in our very midst this morning, Father. Let this be a time that we be edified by your word, and that you, Father, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, God was sovereign over the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God was sovereign over the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 22 through 24, which reads, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So after the apostle Peter makes clear to the crowd that what they were witnessing on this day of Pentecost wasn't because the disciples of Jesus Christ were merely drunk on too much wine here, but that what was taking place was all in accordance to the very word of God as predicted by the prophet Joel himself. For the apostle Peter then begins to transition here, church, as we see in verse 22, by initially saying to the crowd, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Peter obviously referring to Jesus, who was a Nazarene or from the town of Nazareth, and who was also, verse 22, a man attested to you by God, or as other translations put it, accredited by God, approved by God, pointed out by God, and set forth by God. In essence, meaning that this man named Jesus of Nazareth was uniquely marked out by God or came to you from God. And that he was attested to you by God, verse 22, with mighty works and wonders and signs. The Apostle Peter, obviously referring here to all the miracles that Jesus Christ did during his life and during his ministry here on earth. Miracles like when Jesus walked on water and calmed that of the storm. 
or miracles like when Jesus fed the 5,000 and healed that of the sick, or miracles like when Jesus cleansed the leper, gave sight to the blind, turned water into wine, cured the paralytic, casted demons out to the possessed, and even brought Lazarus back from the dead. All of which, verse 22, that God did through Jesus in your midst as you yourselves know. And yet this Jesus of Nazareth, for he was not only attested by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in their very midst. Peter obviously speaking to that of the Jewish crowd here, church. But that as we go on to see in verse 23, that this Jesus of Nazareth then was also delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And this is really, really, really important for us to grasp here, church. And that the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, for it wasn't just some kind of foul-up or screw-up or mix-up that all just unfortunately took place that our God did not originally plan for, but that instead Jesus of Nazareth being delivered up and ultimately crucified and killed on a cross at Calvary, for it all took place as part of the definite and deliberate and predetermined plan and foreknowledge of our God. Foreknowledge here, church, meaning way more, as numerous scholars point out, than just God knowing what would take place before it actually happened, or way more than just the omniscience of God here, but the foreknowledge of God here, for it also implies the certainty of an event taking place all according to our God's plan and will. And yet, for we not only see the sovereignty of God in the crucifixion and in the death of this Jesus of Nazareth, but we also see here in verse 23 that of human responsibility as well. Whereas although Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, as the Apostle Peter then goes on to state in verse 23, that this Jesus of Nazareth, you crucified and killed. Referring corporately, if you will, to that of the Jewish crowd here. By verse 23, the hands of lawless men, seemingly referring to that of the Romans who carried out then the execution and crucifixion of this Jesus of Nazareth. In essence, making clear here, church, that all those who were involved in these most heinous acts against Jesus, for they were all still responsible for and guilty of these most heinous acts, even though it was all still part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Nevertheless, despite this Jesus of Nazareth being crucified and killed, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And that God, the one who publicly marked out and set forth this Jesus of Nazareth by verse 22, mighty works and wonders and signs. For after this same Jesus of Nazareth was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God and was crucified and killed on a cross at Calvary, for he, God the Father, then verse 24, raised this same Jesus of Nazareth up, Galatians 1.1, from the dead. And in doing so, verse 24, loosen the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
apparently meaning, as Howard Marshall explains it, that what we have here is a wonderful mixed metaphor whereby death is regarded as being in labor and is simply not able to hold back its child, the Messiah. And thus, if you were to ask why death could not hold back this Jesus of Nazareth, for the Apostle Peter's response then would be, because this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, and the Messiah, for he can't be held back by death. Nevertheless, as we close point number one this morning, church, for I'd like to do so particularly in light of verse 23. Again, which reads, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And I want to close point number one this morning, church, in light of verse 23, because I want you all to note here, as one commentator shared, that some theological traditions have the mistaken notion that history unfolds as a cooperative project between God and man, and that God is waiting to see how our actions will shape history, and that God then will simply respond accordingly, which is a view that is quite simply inconsistent with the Scriptures. Since, as Peter made clear here in verse 23, for Jesus was delivered up by God all according to the predetermined plan of God, and that God did not send Jesus into this world in order to see how his creatures in their sinfulness would respond to Jesus, nor did God consider the crucifixion of Jesus to merely be a possibility that could happen, but instead Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was sent into this world to die. Therefore, this great truth then should give us as Christians today the assurance that God is truly in control of world history and in control of our lives, since our God is not waiting to see how history will unfold, but instead our God, the God of the Scriptures, is the God who orchestrates all things according to the counsel of His will in this world, and that our God is the God who acts in history, the transcendent, eternal sovereign, omnipotent, and omniscient God who acts in history. And thus I just want to remind and to assure and to reassure you all here this morning, church, that even in light of these most turbulent times that we are living in today, with Hamas wickedly attacking Israel, with the overall moral decline of our own country, the cost of living continuing to just keep going up and up and up, and even with all the headlines out there today about human trafficking, violent crimes, sickness, illness, disease, and even that of global war, that absolutely none of that is taking our God by surprise here, church, or catching our God off guard here, church, or is forcing our God to proceed in a way that is somehow counter to that of his decretive will here, church. And I say that because our God, for 
Lord. He is absolutely sovereign, church. And that every decision belongs to the Lord. And that he does all that he pleases, works all things according to the counsel of his will, and that no purpose of his church can ever, ever, ever be stopped. Which means then that everything that takes place in this world, Christian, has all been decreed by our God, ordained by our God, and is all part of the sovereign and definite plan of our God. And that for those who love God, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, do not let the sorry state of affairs around you today, Christian, cause you to lose heart, to become fearful, or to begin to doubt that of your God. But instead, rest in the fact that your omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent God, who is sovereign over all, and who can providentially work in and through all for your good and for his glory, was, is, and forevermore will be in control of all. Which means then, Christian, that the future will unfold exactly as our sovereign God has ordained it since our God, as Psalm 135 verse 6 puts it, for he is in the heavens church and he does all that he pleases in heaven, on earth, and even in the seas. Which brings us to point number two, church. Jesus rose from the dead, and thus Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus rose from the dead, and thus Jesus is the Messiah. Verses 25 through 32. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses." So just as the Apostle Peter went to the Old Testament Scriptures in order to showcase that what was taking place on the day of Pentecost was all in accordance with the very Word of God as foretold by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, for the Apostle Peter once again goes back to the Old Testament Scriptures here in verses 25 through 28, but this time by citing that of Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And he does so in order to begin to showcase or to make clear to the audience that this Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to them by God, 
But who they crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men is, verse 36, both Lord and Messiah. And thus the apostle Peter then, for he initially says to the crowd here in verse 26, for David says concerning him, being that David was the author of the aforementioned Psalm chapter 16, only to then cite the words of David here, again, from Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, as we see in verses 25 through 28, which read, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. To which the Apostle Peter then, for he doesn't just leave his audience here with that text, but instead he, the Apostle Peter, then goes on to exegete, if you will, that text for them, or explain that text to them, or to make clear, verse 29, to the brothers, or to the Jewish audience who were present at this time, verse 29, that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and that his tomb is with us to this day. In essence, making the point here, church, that since the psalm here notes, as we see in verse 27, that you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption, or as the New Living Translation puts it, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And since verse 29, David both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day and that the crowd here, church, can still go to that tomb, visit that tomb, and see that tomb where David's deceased body still remains for the patriarch David then absolutely could not have ultimately fulfilled this text, but that instead, as Peter goes on to explain to the crowd in verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, Peter seemingly recalling here that of Psalm chapter 132 verse 11, which reads, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which you will not turn back, one of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. That oath or that promise here, church, coming from or given in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, where God promised that from the line of David that a descendant of his would come who would one day establish a kingdom that would endure forever and sit on a throne that would last forever. And thus in knowing all that, for the patriarch David then, in essence, speaking as a prophet here, as the apostle Peter goes on to point out in verse 31, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, and that what the apostle Peter was making clear to the crowd here, church, was that the patriarch David, speaking as a prophet here, was ultimately speaking about his descendant, verse 31, the Christ, the Messiah, who would not have his soul abandoned to Hades or have his flesh see corruption, but who instead would be resurrected from the dead. 
to which the Apostle Peter then, for he does not just leave the audience their church, but instead goes on to connect the dots for them here in verse 32 by saying to them that this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. And thus, to sum up then the essence of the argument that the Apostle Peter was making to the crowd here, church, as one commentator laid it out, was that Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, speaks of a resurrection. And since the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is still with us to this day, for the patriarch David then couldn't have ultimately fulfilled this text. And that's the patriarch David then had to be prophetically speaking here about the Messiah who ultimately one day would experience a resurrection from the dead and who would not be abandoned to Hades or have his flesh see corruption and thus being that God did indeed raise this man named Jesus of Nazareth up from the dead for this Jesus of Nazareth then quite clearly, quite frankly, and most certainly has to be then verse 31, the Christ the Messiah. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, why exactly the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such a big deal. And the reason is, non-Christian, first off, because we were all born into sin all dead in our sin, and all deserve the wrath of our holy God for our very sin. However, our sovereign God in love sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save the children of God from their very sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did that non-Christian by initially living a life here on earth that was free from any kind of sin. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived here on earth was a life, non-Christian, that was holy and righteous and just and good, free from any kind of evil or wickedness, transgressions of the law, or even that of sin. And thus because of that, for he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God for the very children of God, for that in and of itself was not enough to save the children of God from their very sins. And thus being that the wage of their sin or the cost of their sin is that of death for this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ then. For he willingly took their sins upon himself and bore the wrath of a holy God that they, the children of God, deserved for their very sins by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, as the propitiation or as the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for their very sins. And you know what, non-Christian? It worked. 
And that the atoning sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary, for it satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased that non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God, all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of all that, three days later than this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, For he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of verse 24, which reads that God raised him, Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, And also in light of verse 32, which reads, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And thus in light of the fact that God the Father actually, factually, and legitimately in time and in space raised this Jesus of Nazareth up from the dead, for how then, church, does the fact that Jesus Christ was indeed raised from the dead, impact, affect, and shape your everyday life. And I ask you all that this morning, church, because as Pastor Vernon Grounds once shared, that the late Ron Sider, who was a theologian and social activist, once was having a conversation with a German theologian by the name of Wolfhart Pennenberg. And as they were discussing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Pennenberg emphatically declared to Sider that the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would ever question it, except for two reasons. Number one, because it was a very unusual event. And number two, because if you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly happened, then you have to change the way you live. And that is a challenging statement, as Grounds goes on to write. For if we really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, for that belief then mandates a change of life. For example, the Apostle Peter's life was turned upside down after he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. For he once was an impulsive fisherman disciple who even denied knowing Jesus after his arrest three times only to then become a bold witness for Jesus Christ after he saw him resurrected from the dead. 
And thus lovingly, let me ask you all again this morning, church, in all honesty, for how does the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead impact, affect, and shape your everyday life here on earth? For does it give you peace, Christian, when war breaks out in the Middle East? Or hope, Christian, that 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 chronic back pain of yours just won't go away? Or comfort, Christian, when you lose that of a loved one? Or assurance, Christian, to press on in the faith and to seek to grow in Christ-likeness even when everything in this world seems to be going against you? Or do you instead live in a way, practically speaking, as if the resurrection of Jesus Christ never really happened? And I ask you all that this morning, church, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ The factual, actual, and historical resurrection of Jesus Christ that really did happen in time and in space, for it absolutely should affect every area of your life. And I say that because, as our BFC Articles of Faith put it, for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basis for the resurrection of man. And that at the resurrection, believers will receive spiritual and immortal bodies like that of Jesus' own glorious body. A body, Christian, that will be raised in power, raised in glory, and fit to be in the presence of our most holy God forever. And thus lovingly then, Christian, for if you are going through it right now, emotionally, physically, psychologically, or spiritually, then lovingly let me encourage you to look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that if you ache all over physically this morning, then find comfort in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or if you are struggling with stress and anxiety this morning, then find peace in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or even if you are in agony this morning over the death of a loved one, the loss of your wife, the health of your grandfather, or the demise of your own physical and mental capabilities, then find hope and assurance and joy this morning, Christian, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, though we may one day die, Christian, for at the return of Jesus Christ, for we too will be raised from the dead as well. Raised in power, raised in glory, and fit to be in the presence, Christian, of our most holy God forever. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body not only be in all of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but that we also then find comfort and peace and hope and joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well, to the point that we let the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ impact us and mold us and shape us and affect every area of our lives. Since we have a Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ, who not only defeated sin, but who also then made death out to be a loser, and who now offers eternal life and glorified bodies fit to be in the presence of our most holy God forever to all who place their trust in him. Therefore, let us always, always, always then, Father, no matter what we are going through, in the here and now, find comfort and joy and peace in the reality that your Son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, strengthen the dear ones this morning. 
strengthen them in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That though we may die, yet we shall live. Lord, how easy it is to get caught up emotionally in what is going on with the world, to be beat down psychologically because our life isn't where we want it to be, to be worn down physically because of the aches and pains we deal with, to struggle spiritually. And yet, Father, we can always be comforted by the fact that your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who took our sins upon himself and died on that cross at Calvary, that he rose from the grave, that he defeated sin. He made death out to be an absolute loser. And for those who place their faith in him, that though we may die, yet we shall live And at the return of Jesus Christ, even if we do die, the perishable will be raised imperishable. Mortal will be raised immortal. Father, let us cling to this future reality that is an absolute for those who are in Jesus Christ. Let it be a balm to our soul this morning. Let it ease our achy hearts And let us grow in trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. The one who was not abandoned to Sheol. The one who did not see any corruption, but instead who rose from the dead. And thus because Christ rose from the dead, for he had to be then the Messiah. Let us rest in that, we pray, Father. And that because he did it, so too will all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as well. In his name we pray. Amen.